1: That's one interview, Sean. Like I said, first ever podcast for the Notre Dame Recruiting Hour. We're going to have two interviews for you today. And why wait for it? Why wait for it, Sean? We're going to welcome now to the podcast. We got Mr. Oscar McBride, who was a Notre Dame player from 1991 to 1994, part of some great teams under Lou Holtz. 18 receptions, 140 yards, four touchdowns during his career. Of course, a part of that 11-1 1993 team that I know a lot of people in this chat are going to get a little roundup about. They should have been the national championships, that national champions that year, and also spent a couple years with the Arizona Rattlers, Arizona Rattlers. I'm sorry, Arizona Cardinals, who's not in the (laughs) Arena League. Oscar McBride joining the show. Oscar, how are you, brother? Appreciate you for joining the show.
2: Ryan, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Excited to be here.
1: For sure. Oh, absolutely, man! We're we're excited to have you, Oscar. Right? Like I said, we uh we've been doing, we've been doing this kind of recruits kind of, from the past podcast, uh-huh. right? So we, uh, Oscar, I don't know if you have earbuds because I'm hearing a little bit of feedback on my ends. I don't know if you hear that yeah, too, Sean. It's like an echo. I do. You I don't guys hear that? that or not.
2: Yeah. not? yeah, I do have AirPods, and I mean I can take them out and we can just yeah. go. I can just go speaker if that's better.
1: Yeah, sorry for that. I just, I just hear the, the background, so I just want to make sure everyone hears this loudly and clear. That's my apologies, but no, it's uh,
3: all good. We're
0: driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
4: I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried Trade Coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about Trade Coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before. Because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste-testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection. The rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee, the full flavor of the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees
1: in the world. Give it a shot. So, Oscar, you are the second person that we have had on this podcast now a part of this series. We have Bertrand Barry that came on the show before as well. <laughs> so you are second. I know you You probably know Bertrand very, very well from your time at Notre Dame yeah, as well. So that's,
2: that's my little brother, man. I had to take him under my wing when he came, so. I, yeah, you know, I know what I wanted to well. reach
1: out to you, Oscar is when uh, when he came on the podcast, he mentioned you by name. He's like, Oscar was one of my guys when I got to yeah. when I got to Notre Dame. Like that was like that was like uncle, right? Like I, yeah, he brought me under sure. his wing. He taught me yep. the ropes, all that good stuff. So I had to bring you
2: for sure, for sure, for sure. He he, man, he came in phenomenal talent, man. Bert was a, a sub four or five guy, kind of skinny outside linebacker. Uh, unfortunately, he had to deal with you know with myself and. Pete Kriplevich and Leon Wallace, so we, we had to toughen them up a little bit, but uh, it, it worked out well for him. Heck of a player, man. He turned out to be. And his son, his son in Phoenix right now, I'm telling you, this next generation, you know, you got B.Y.'s son, you know, you got mm-hmm. Reggie Farima's son, who's at Northwestern, playing really well. Um, and now you got uh little, little B train coming up down the pipe, man. It's going to be exciting to see what happens in the next few years with these guys. It's it's
1: funny you say that, Oscar, because Sean, when we had Bertrand on, he t- was talking about his son a little bit that he just moved the yeah. defensive line full time and I actually watched mm-hmm. his huddle highlight tape. So I'm like, all right, let me let me take a look. And <laughs> you're not wrong, man. He's, yeah. he's a he's chip all the old off the old block, man. He can play made a little out. bit. Yeah, so
2: no doubt. All
1: right. Well, Oscar, I of course, of course. We want to talk a little bit about the Notre the Dame Notre career. career. Love to talk I'm about on the NFL side of things, side. obviously. But the, the main thing that we want to talk about is trying to kind of compare and contrast a little bit of what the past recruiting process looked to what we are now right because we cover oh. this obviously on a daily basis and it is wild some of the things that are happening <laughs> nowadays but I guess maybe a good place to start with us is that I know you're a Florida guy originally and I would love to just kind of hear your background as a recruits coming out of the state of Florida I think you're out of Chiefland High School I believe if I got that correct Gainesville That's correct so if you could just take me through a little bit of your recruiting, why Notre Dame, just a little bit of the background when you were coming out of high school.
2: Sure. Um, well, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a Florida boy, uh, north central Florida, um, a stone's throw away from Gainesville. You know, it was Gator country. Uh, there were, there was a sprinkle of Seminole fans in there, a uh, couple of uh, uh, University of Miami fans. Uh, but, you know, everybody was mostly Gators in that that neck of the woods. Uh, we were coming off of uh, the Charlie, uh, Charlie Pell era. Um, and then, you know, Gary Darnell stepped in briefly. Uh, funny thing, uh, Gary Darnell was the interim head coach at the University of Florida uh, when I was being recruited and then ended up being the, rec- uh, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame my freshman year. Uh, so I got to know Coach Darnell very well. Um, but completely different now, man. It's funny. I was having – you'll appreciate this, Ryan. I was having a conversation with my uncle – Ah uh, yesterday, who's in in uh, Tennessee. I mean, obviously he's excited about what the balls are doing out there. But we were talking about recruiting and how different it is right now. Um, and just amazing how different the landscape is and what it means for a high school senior coming out right now. Um you've got obviously the transfer portal, uh, which is busy, which is basically a college free agency. Uh, you also have that additional COVID year. Uh, you have guys with medical hardships. You know, you got guys that are spending six, seven years in college now. Um, and then, you know, after that, you know, coaches are looking to junior colleges. They're looking to those bounce backs. They're looking to those guys who weren't qualifiers for whatever reason. Maybe it's academic. Maybe it was behavioral, whatever the case may be. But those guys are hungry, right? They, they, mm-hmm. they want their shot. And then kind of last on the totem pole is, is the kid coming out of high school. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't want to say it cheapens it, but like the the focus is now more on your four-star, five-star, big-time recruits who can come in and, and play immediately and make an impact. There's there's really no, no place for your two-star, three-star uh, developmental guy who's going to take a couple years to play. Because here's a situation – you know, back in the day, coaches got five years, and kind of got whittled down to three years. And nowadays, it's it's two if you're lucky, depending on how your first year goes. I mean, you know, we're you know we're we're already out of the honeymoon phase, you know, with Coach Freeman, which is too bad. You know, because you know we're struggling a little bit, but I it's just there's just not that patience, man. We you know we want it instantly, and and I think it, it's made things much more difficult. You know, for me, it was. You know, I'm a USA Today athlete of the year for the state of Florida. Highly recruited. Uh, ended up coming to Notre Dame first. Uh, committed to Notre Dame. You know, I was on the same recruiting trip as Oliver Gibson and John Covington, Jerome Bettis, Tim Ruddy. Uh, we were all on the same trip. Um, we all decided that we were going to come. You know, I was going to Florida State. You know, Jerome was talking about Michigan or, or Oklahoma. Oliver was going to Illinois. John Covington was going to Florida. Uh, you know, and we all, you know, obviously Tim Ruddy, a big 33 guy from Pennsylvania. I heard you guys talking before, you know, he was going to Penn state. Um, so we all decided that we were going to come to Notre Dame and, and we made that commitment to each other before we got there, you know? So nowadays it's not so much about the commitment as it is dollars and cents and playing time. And those are the two things that, that I think are mostly impacting the landscape of recruiting today.
1: Yeah. And I want to get your background, obviously, on a bunch of different topics here, Oscar. But let me ask you this. One thing that I've noticed just kind of recovering recruiting now, and I want to hear how much different this layer of it is, is that nowadays when a player makes a verbal commitment to a program, it's something where you have to continue to follow it right up into signing day because Mm -hmm. so many players now, Oscar, like, They'll, rec- they'll commit and they'll be like, nope, I'm still open to all options. I'm just like, well, why are you committed to a school then if that's how you are? But, I mean, I have to think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, when you were going through the process, I would assume that as soon as you made your commitment that, like, hey, this is where I'm going, that was over with. Am I wrong there? Am I out of line? Like, just curious.
2: You know, it, it wasn't over. I mean, I, I still, you know, the great thing about Notre Dame and Coach Holtz, you know, he was like, hey, take your trips. You know, uh, we obviously want you here you know, we think you'd be a great fit for the University of Notre Dame and what we do. Um, but take your trips. You know, it's a it's a once in a lifetime type experience. And I wasn't really for that, but I ended up taking Florida and Florida State. Um, I I'd always I'd grown up on Coach Bowden. I was a Seminole fan. Um, and then I went I, I went on my trip. Everybody knew I was committed. Um, you know, they did their normal recruiting process. And then at the end of the day, I was like, Hey, I'm firm, you know, and and that's just kind of how it worked. It wasn't that, you know, they gave up, you know, Steve Spurrier, you know, ball coach coming from Duke at the time, he wasn't going to give up. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I felt comfortable at Notre Dame. I felt home. It wasn't too big for me. Um, you know, I'm from a really small town. If you, you know, anything about North central Florida, there's a lot of swamp. Uh, And a lot of small towns with, you know, three, four stoplights and my town was one of them. So um, being at at Notre Dame, and and I I think one of the things that really stood out to me, um, there was a scrimmage um, for the the Orange Bowl on my recruiting trip. And I remember Rocket coming up to me, uh, and he and Ricky Waters. And uh, I, I met Rocket really quickly. And Rocket said to me, hey, when you come, we're gonna win a national championship, and and I I kind of looked at my mom. And I was like, "That's rocking, Smell." He just talked to me, you know, kind of thing. Um, and it made a big deal, you know. Uh, those guys were always around. You know, Derek Brown was on my trip, my my recruiting trip. Had dinner with us. Tony Smith, uh, Rodney Culver was there. Um, you know, recruiting back then was you know about the team and about being around the guys that had already established the culture that you were going into. Um, and I, it's sad to say now it's truly about dollars and cents. And are you going to get me on the field now, coach? Cause if you're not going to get me on the field now, doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what your program is like. I'm going somewhere else where they're going to put me on the field.
3: Yeah, that's, that's incredible. You talk about that, that, and you talk about things that should change. Now, when you think about the landscape of recruiting, I remember back in the day, just listening to you guys, listening, but but hearing and reading about, about guys coming in for, for a big bangle, bangle week and being able to come in through all preparation. Mm-hmm. What's the challenge for, for Notre Dame now to, to be able to have the same appeal? You know, is it simply about, about winning and being have those recognizable players once once again to the talk to recruits when they come to campus? Or is there something that's going, that's going to have to shift? In the near future, to cause them to have,
2: uh, you know, that's consistent class. That's, a great,
3: type classes,
2: that's a great question, man, and, and it's loaded with all kinds of landmines. But um, <laughs> what, I, what I what I would say is is, I mean, we've seen a paradigm shift just in college sports generally, uh, just mm-hmm. how things work, and and um, empowering the student athlete. Um, I, I think you know what you have now is student athletes who understand their value a lot more than we did um, because for us, it was truly about winning and brotherhood and, and those things that sound kind of, kind of quirky and dumb nowadays, you know, cause now the kids want the bag, you know, they'll tell you, coach, I want a bag, you know, I'm like, okay, well, you want a bag. I, I can put your name and your number on it. <laughs> I got an equipment bag for you, but they're talking about, I want a bag of money. So, um, I don't think Notre Dame will lower its standards and its character for that type of thing. Um, It definitely won't lower its standards academically. Um, And I think Coach Freeman has has done a a good job of of securing some high-level talent. I just think, you know, to to Ryan's point before, that follow-up, that consistent touch, that consistent phone call, hey, man, thinking about you, you know, can't wait to get you here on campus, you know, those types of things. It's just hard, man. There's so many different factors, you know, um, weather, <laughs> you know, uh, enrollment, uh, things to do off campus, you know, places to go. I mean, for us, you know, going to Chicago wasn't a big deal because a lot of my brothers played in that area. You know, we'd go home with them for the weekend. You know, I remember going home with Brian Hamilton on weekends. It was great, you know, spending time with him. Um, just now it's, you know, kids want everything. Um and, and from my perspective, they're they're entitled to that because everything's asked of them when they get to their, you know, specific program. So I don't know if we'll see the you know that, you know, it's about the the loyalty and the brotherhood. I mean maybe in some places you have that, but I think a lot of these kids are looking for what's coming next. You know, am I putting myself in the best possible situation? to have a great college career and eventually have a shot at playing on the next level.
3: You talk, you talk about the Logan brotherhood, my experience talking to players and just left Notre Dame. This is something they can to talk about and talking about yeah. third plus years yeah. where you yeah. are to these, to these guys now matriculating to the NFL or into entrepreneurship. When you talk about that, that loyalty brotherhood, is it a, is it a fair pitch to a young man in lieu of, of the bag NIL, like what's the what's the challenge? How is Oscar going to con- convey that to young man to say, look, i look, I understand what the landscape is, is today. Stand Promise you, look, yeah. yeah, this is going to point to more to you than the road.
2: Man, you got me on the ropes, man. I'm telling you, like <laughs> I- <laughs> I, you know what? I, I would say, honestly, I would use the same pitch Coach Holtz used for us. You know, you give me four, I'll give you 40. And and when he was talking about that 40 years, he wasn't just talking about him personally, although, you know, I could pick up the phone right now and call Coach Holtz, he's going to answer. Um, I think what is going to sell Notre Dame is its depth of community, um, it's alumni base, it's connections. Uh, you know, some of these colleges have great football programs, but beyond that immediate area of where that football program is, you don't you don't have a lot of reach. You know, when you talk about the University of Notre Dame, you're talking about an international network of of millions of people, um, who, whether you know it or not, as a football player, they know you, right? And they know a lot of stuff about you. So, um, and I think anyone who attends the University of Notre Dame understands the, the challenges and understands, you know, what you have to go through just to go to class, just to, you know, the weather is never your friend. You know, um, teachers have obviously are assigning work as if their class is the only one you have. Um, so there's there's a lot to it. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of adversity that you have to go through. And I just think that the people who've come through that pipeline understand that, and there's there's some specific value placed on someone who not only was able to cut the mustard academically, but athletically. So I, I would I would say, I mean, yeah, even in light of NIL, in light of all the other opportunities these guys have today, you know, I'm in year 32 of my 40, and uh, it's still going strong. You know, I mean, there's I, I'm on a group text with. You know, Aaron Taylor, Bryant Young, Jeff Burris, um, Clint Johnson, Lake Dawson, Brian Brian Hamilton, Jermaine Holden. uh, And we talk every day, every single day. And while I'm not discrediting the relationships and other programs, um, you know, it's it's not often that you're just on a group chat of brothers with an NFL Hall of Famer, a college Hall of Famer, uh, an NFL GM, and then and a, a college defensive back coach and a high school head football coach, you just don't – you know what I mean? There, There's a little bit different swag to that. So, yeah, four gets you 40, man. That, That's my recruiting trip.
1: Oscar, the one thing that I'm curious about because obviously Notre Dame being a national brand, they recruit everywhere. I mean, we're talking yeah. about you from Florida. I mean, mm-hmm. just in this cycle they had – Kid from Arizona, kid from California, Texas. Mm-hmm. Several kids from Texas. Like they're recruiting all over the country. Like this isn't just mm-hmm. a Midwest thing, right? Like Notre Dame is a national mm-hmm. and international brand. If we're being completely yep. honest, right? So mm-hmm. I'm curious. Being a kid that was a Florida guy originally, right? Going up to yeah. Notre Dame, maybe that first winter, right, where it's there's snow on the ground <laughs> all the time. How did you adjust to the climate, man? Because I know it sounds silly, but like that's a real thing to adjust to. It really
2: is. Uh... I, uh, You know what, I, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I ever adjusted to it. You know, it's just one of those things you just know is coming, kind of like tax day. You know it's coming. You, you just try to prepare for it the best you can. Um, I, I do remember first snowfall, um, freshman year, uh, it was October. And, uh, you know, we didn't have, you know, no frats, no sororities on campus. And my freshman year, we repaired with, you know, quote, normal students. So it wasn't two football players' roommates. So I had a I had a roommate by the name of Chris Wade. Shout out, Chris, if you're listening, bro, uh, miss you, man. Um, he's from Rhode Island. Chris is probably five five, probably 120 pounds soaking wet, um, and uh, you know then there's me. You know, six four at the time, probably 225, and um, you know we're we're roommates. And I remember getting up. I was in Flanner, which kind of dates me. It's not an administrative building, but I was. And flanner up on the 10th floor every morning i would get up and i would open the blinds you know because we our room overlooked you know stepping courts and the field and all that stuff and man i remember opening the blinds and, and i looked and as far as i could see was white <laughs> and i immediately closed the blinds and i went and got back in bed my roommate says hey man what, what are you what are you doing i'm like uh it's snowing out there bro like I'm going to get back in bed. And he laughed, belly laughed at me, like full on belly laugh. He's like, Oh man, come on. This is Notre Dame. They don't cancel class for snow, you know? And this is mind you, this is mid October now. So at that moment, it was like, Oh crap, I got to go class in the snow, man. And like, it had completely escaped me. Um, You know, I came up on my recruiting trip in December snow was everywhere, but you know, they, they, you know, Coaches kind of drive you around, drive you where you need to be, drive you up to the admin building. There's no walking, you know. Um, I think they conveniently left out Notre Dame was a pedestrian campus, so you know that was never really discussed. Um, but to say that I got used to it, nah, man, you don't get used to win- you don't get used to winters in South Bend. You just kind of grin and bear it. That's what it is. Um, especially during the off season, you know, you got up, get up at six o'clock in the morning. Go over to, to Loftus or now the Goog and and get your work in, and then you got to get the, the class. It just, whew, man, I'm myself, some PTSD triggers going on right now, but um, it's 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 definitely different, and, and uh, getting used to it, not so much. You just know it's coming. So when you talk, you talk about the greatest moment.
3: I've asked several players, like what's the one thing that sticks with you the most. When you just you just think about Notre Dame and I'm in Notre Dame, I've, I've got answers from from Friday practice in the stadium, or just walking around and around and just recognizing how many historic, historic people have walked around this stadium going to the games. Yeah. For for yeah. you, McBride, what's the one thing you thought of the all man?
2: I geez, I I gotta say, um, the moment that. That really impacted me the most was freshman year, Michigan, first night game, Notre Dame history with the, you know, portable lights that, you know, were on the back of the truck, right? Um, Rick Myers first start um, coming out of the tunnel and just electric. I just got goosebumps right now, man. I mean, it was it was it was crazy. Like the energy, uh, you know, the the lights were just hitting off of our helmets, man, that, that shine with, you know, not the waffle, not the not the shamrock, you know, just that beautiful gold shine, man, and you know, playing against Michigan, you know, prime time Saturday night. Uh that and probably Florida State are probably two of my 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 biggest, biggest memories that just really impacted me a lot. Something I'll never forget.
1: Well, Oscar, we have a lot of play, um fan questions in the chat that they wanted to throw some questions at you. So I'm going to hit those in a second. My last question for you sure. is just kind of looking back on everything now with the, with the, obviously the, hindsight that you have now is there some advice that you would give to a young oscar mcbride or a person that might be in your position now a young athlete getting recruited that like you wish you knew back then something that maybe would have helped you
3: a lot
2: you know what i would i would say to a a young oscar um commit to the process you know um I you know, I had, you know, Derek Brown and Irv Smith in, in front of me and I was content uh to wait my turn. You know, um, you know, Derek's an all American, eventual first round pick, you know, Irv's, you know, honorable mention all American, first round pick. So I'm like, okay, I'm next up. And I didn't push. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't looking to try to move past them or to be better than them. Um, you know, it was just I just kind of settled into my place and i was comfortable with that um i i would tell i would tell a young oscar to go get it you know I would tell him to to work harder to push those guys because it's just going to make them better it's going to make the team better uh it would make me better in the long run so i, I would say commit to the process um i had great coaches obviously you know plan for coach moore and, and and skip and um you know jerry schmidt was our strength conditioning coach you know we had the breakfast club myself and Ah, uh, Demetrius Dubos, him, uh, Chris Matlock, um, and uh, just it was it was incredible, but I still think I could have taken a little bit more advantage of of what was there. so I, I would say, yeah, get get into it, man, get after it.
1: love it. I love it. and and right now, when adversity has kind of hit this program a little bit this year, I think that they uh, every player, present and future, could, do with that advice as well. So, Oscar, I want to open it up to some fan questions here, if you have a few minutes. Sure. So
2: sure.
1: we have Anthony Solomon who said, Oscar, what are you doing today career-wise? So what have you kind of been up to lately?
2: Well, um, I, I do. I have a consulting company. I, I do some leadership development, um, you know, specifically uh, with sports, um, um, with young people, making sure they understand what leadership is. You know, uh, one of the things that we kind of miss as coaches you know, we want leaders, but we don't spend the time to actually teach them what that is. Um, you know, we teach them how to block. We teach them how to tackle. We teach them how to lift. We teach them how to watch film. Um, but somehow we magically think that uh, leadership is something that's innate. Um, so we try to give, uh, you know, specifically young people those leadership reps so they know what those those are. I'm um, also the head coach at uh, Murrieta Mesa High School. Um, we're uh, We're second in league right now. We've got our last uh, league game on Friday, and then we're we're looking forward to our, our first playoff berth in about five years as a school. I just took over in February, so a lot of work that we've done, uh, but still a lot of work to do. So, um, still involved in sports keeps me young, keeps me active. So that's what I'm doing now. Love
1: it, and Anthony, thank you so much for the question. We're going to jump to Robert Bishop. He says, Oscar. When you watch football, do you tend to lock in on the tight end and compare what you would have done in that situation? So you hyper-focus on the tight end position.
2: <laughs> you know what? Actually, I don't because um, I no disrespect to Coach Holtz and our offense that we ran, I think we were all underutilized. Um, you know, we were, we were guys who could run and catch and block, and um, we didn't get to do a lot of the – we did a lot of running. We ran a lot of decoy routes. We didn't get a lot of a lot of catches, a lot of balls thrown our way unless it was in the red zone or goal line. Um, but I'm I'm literally looking more at the scheme, um, what the offense is trying to take advantage of and who that conflict player is. Um, looking at how the defense is trying to defend it. Um we're you know, our offense is a spread offense, you know, we're up tempo, uh 10 personnel, eleven personnel, twelve personnel, um, some twenty personnel, tons of motion shifts. You know, in practice we try to run a play every nine, ten seconds. So um I'm always looking for wrinkles, you know, looking for, you know, something that, you know, can give us an advantage, not so much the tight end position, but to your question, I do notice a really good tight end when I see one. So um I'm I'm not locked in on them, but I, I do notice. <laughs> Well, it's a
1: perfect segue for, for that uh, for that conversation then because Robert Bishop would like to know what Oscar thinks about the play of Michael Mayer, star tight end now for Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, I think Michael's a dude. I mean there's there's no question that he's he he's a dude. I, I just feel like you're limited when you're running your offense through the tight end. Um, you know uh, he catches a lot of passes and you know he's he's deceptively quick. But I think, you know, we need to stress the field a little bit more, take some of the pressure off of him. I think as a tight end, it, it's easier to key on. Um, and it's it's easy to bracket, you know, uh, a tight end with a linebacker and a safety, depending on where you put them. Um, but I think he does a good job. Could be a little better in the blocking game, but everybody doesn't get a chance to, to play for Joe Moore, to learn how to block. Um, but I, I, you know, he's a first day draft guy in my book. I mean, I think he's, He's one of the top two tight ends in the country, um, yep. and he does a phenomenal job. I, I love his play. I think he's physical. I think he's nasty. kind of reminds me of a, a Mark Bavaro type um, with the ball in his hands. He's, he's not afraid of contact, uh, catches the ball well with his hands, doesn't let it get to his body, knows how to use his body in traffic to shield himself the ball from the defender. I, I got nothing bad to say about him. He is phenomenal. Does a really good job.
1: Oscar, I, uh, I, my, so my roots are in the NFL draft sphere, so I'm probably going to use that Mark Bavaro comp at some point, just letting you know that I'm stealing that from you. Okay.
3: (laughs) that's all good, man. It's all good.
1: (laughs) We had Christopher Morgan who said, Oscar, how do you feel the NIL uh, landscape is watering down the the classic process and fun of being recruited to where young men are getting millions of dollars before starting in college development? I know we talked a little bit about this Oscar, but maybe just Mm -hmm. a little more deep. I mean, sure there's there it's a weird balance right because like i'm all in favor of student of student athletes being able to make money off of their name image and likeness i think that it's been something that should have been implemented in some fashion a long time ago at this point but it is kind of making this process a little funky right like there's a lot of layers to this question i think
2: yeah well i think there's a great area right um you know i mean let's call it what it is the nfl drops guys on potential Right. I mean, and they're getting drafted on their potential, not what they've necessarily done. I mean, you could be a great college player and be a busted NFL, we've seen that. And you could be a guy who, you know, doesn't really play well in college and you end up being a superstar in the NFL. That's kind of how it works. I think the gray area is where does this kind of cross that, you know, amateur professional boundary? Uh, where you're, you're giving a kid an NIL deal based on, you know, his, you know, is he, he could be this great player, he could, you know, do these things. I mean, I'm looking at Tennessee right now, right? Um, There's a quarterback out here in California, who's committed to go to Tennessee, kid signed an $8 million NIL deal. No disrespect to nico because I, I love the kid i think he does a phenomenal job tennessee doesn't need him <laughs> they, they don't they don't need him so like what what happens with that like does that deal go to the to the wayside like you know how how is it restructured <laughs> you know do they restructure it like an nfl contract um it, there's there's a lot of great areas and I, and I think as i was saying earlier um and talking to my uncle yesterday, where's the NC2A in all of this? You know they they have been extremely silent, um, almost non-existent, which was to my in my opinion kind of points to their um, their lack of power and authority. Uh, you're talking about a, a really blurred line between what's a professional athlete and what's a you know an amateur athlete, and you're completely silent. Um, and you're supposedly the governing body of this, you know, this institution that is going in uncharted waters. I mean, are they behind closed doors coming up with, you know, with regulations and rules? I mean, is there a cap, at least in the NFL, there's a cap. Is there an NIL cap, (laughs) you know, like what about the transfer portal? Is there only, can a team only sign a certain number of people? um you know is you know can you only have so many kids from a team in the transfer portal like there there's none of this is being regulated so it's literally not to sound like a cliche but it's like the wild wild west man everybody's for himself so um yeah i think it's watered down you know recruiting like i said before if you're you know the two-star guy or the three-star guy who's a really good player and can help some teams it's probably going to be a little harder for you because you're not a four star or a five star or a guy who's already been there in the portal or a guy who's maybe bounced back from a division one or a guy who wasn't maybe a a qualifier before who's really hungry. So um, it's tough. I I, I feel bad. I mean, my son was, was, was victim of that. You know, he's, he's a freshman out of Southern Utah, but you know, he's a three-star corner did a great job all league in the Trinity league two years in a row. 4.2 Um, four point two GPA, and you know it's like, uh yeah, we're gonna sign this this twenty four year old, uh, you know, graduate, uh, to to play corner for us instead of bringing in the, you know, the seventeen year old who might need a year or two to to develop. That's yeah. just kind of the nature of the beast.
1: Well, yes. and I, I was, Oscar, we've talked about it a ton because I remember two years ago. Western Kentucky signed like 24 graduates out of the transfer portal. Michigan state was right around like 20 as well. And I've talked about this a lot. It's like Michigan state took a huge step back this year. You, well, we know why it's because you can't quick fix it all the time. Right? Like that's not nope. sustainable. Like you're not developing nope. players at that point. You're trying to find quick right. fixes, you know, which makes it really funky.
2: Really. Well, and and, and, and as, as a coach, I mean, you still have to create a sustainable culture for your team. Like, you know, you're, You're taking guys who are leaving programs, most likely disgruntled if they're in the portal, unless they've graduated. If they're graduating seniors, okay, great. They stayed. They got their degree. They're looking for another opportunity. Different mindset. But you got a kid who's disgruntled because of playing time or he feels like he was misled in some way by the coach or the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. He's not getting his touches. He's not playing. So in essence, you're inheriting someone else's headache. So you still need time for for them to embrace the culture that you've established. And then sometimes that just doesn't happen. And it's hard to do that within just a, a few months. You know, you need a full year. And unfortunately, they don't have you. That's all they have. You know, they have that year left. And they're trying to – it's make or break, you know. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's all about them. So it, that's difficult, really difficult. Man, I'm glad I'm coaching high school. Whew. <laughs> is that still
3: is high school still the purest form of coaching
2: i agree i agree it is uh but let me say this it doesn't come without its own you know challenges you know uh kids move a lot kids move a lot especially out here in southern california man like i've known kids who've gone to four high schools in four years I mean, it is – people are looking for the best opportunity, the best fit, and loyalty and commitment are unfortunately becoming things of the past. You know, um, next up, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. You know, it's and it's really too bad. It's bad for the sport. Now, let me say this. I love the parody I'm seeing, though, on Saturdays because you can't – you can't, you know, you can't say in good conscience – in good conscience hey um TCU has no chance to beat Michigan can't say that you just you can't you can't say that yeah. you know there was a time you just said Marshall has no shot in beating Notre Dame can't say that you know what i mean like there there's somebody i think, what game was i i was watching um Pittsburgh Louisville right Pittsburgh has a starting quarterback who's a transfer from USC yep they got a starting safety as a transfer from Notre Dame, right? Louisville's got a, a transfer from, from Alabama. Like, and it's funny, the announcers have now gotten so conditioned, you know, before it was where you were from, right? Oscar McBride, you know, Keith Jackson, big tight end, not a chief in Florida. You know, now it's like big tight end transfer from Auburn. You know, It's it's so completely different. And I don't think we're really paying attention to those little details that's basically saying we're accepting this as this is our, this is our college football landscape, this is the institution we're in. No changes in the foreseeable future, unfortunately, and our governing body being the NC2A, is completely silent. The main- uh, it's it, it, it's
1: just such a head. It's a headache, man. Like there's just so many different ways to look at it. It's just like, Oh my God. Cause it, it, again, it is a cliche, the wild West, right? But it is the wild West right now. I mean, call it what it is, man. It's a hundred percent what yeah. it is. I mm-hmm. mean, Oscar getting back to a little bit more of a positive comment here it, from yeah. Innate rocket science said, Oscar, yeah. your group of incoming recruits. That was when you were coming out of high school, had some obvious similarities with what Notre Dame has got in the 22 to 22, 2024 class, etc. cetera. At what moment did your group realize that they were destined to win a national championship or that they were destined for greatness at Notre Dame, I should say?
2: I, I don't know. I, I think it was almost immediately. Yeah. I mean, you got yeah, I remember, you know, Jerome Bettis started, uh, Lake Dawson started, Greg Lane started, Tom Carter started as freshmen, you know. Um, you know, Coach Holtz used to always say, you know, uh, you know, a dog's not going to wake up one day as a full grown dog and decide to bite you he's gonna bite you as a puppy. And, you know, we had we had puppies who came in and just just took over. Um, and, you know, that continued even Bobby Taylor when he was there. Um, and then, you know, then we became the super softs, you know, um, that's, you know, all of us were, were contributing or starting as sophomores. And then, you know, junior year, senior year, just we, we played, all of us played for at least three or four years. So I think if if you're looking at you know what's coming in, um, these are kids who can actually help us immediately. Um, which you know obviously we we have a few holes we, we can we can sure up. Um, my question is, are those athletes willing to stay just in case they're not ready? Aaron Taylor didn't play as a freshman. I didn't play as a freshman. Tim Ruddy didn't play as a freshman. Kevin McDougal didn't play. Right? Bryant Young and Jim Flanagan were linebackers. They were on kickoff. Oliver Gibson didn't play as a freshman. You know what I mean? Pete Bursage didn't play. (laughs) You know what I mean? The, The list goes on of all of us who didn't play, but who embraced the process and stayed and developed into, you know, what we became. So I'd like to believe that, you know, these kids will stick around, but I, I, the mindset is completely different. You know, kids nowadays seem to be less interested in building a championship team versus coming in and joining a championship yeah. team that's already intact. Does that make sense? Yes. Um You know, you, you see, you know, Alabama's, you know, Clemson was, you know, everybody wanted to go to Clemson for a while when they were hot. You know, now Georgia's the hot spot. Everybody wants to go to Georgia. I'm pretty sure with what Josh Heifel's doing offensively, Tennessee's going to be a hot spot here for a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, it's There's no – and and don't get me wrong. It's not like we were rebuilding anything. You know, Notre Dame was the top team in the country when we came in. Um, but to keep that sustainable – you know, yep. growth and development of players, you know, coming in, you know, so that there's no drop off between your ones and your twos or, or whatever the case may be, because you never win with your ones only. So um, it's a lot to consider. I, I'm I'm hopeful and I'm cautiously optimistic.
1: <laughs> well, we have, we have a couple of questions about the current team that might be an interesting thing to hit on. So Jay Henry asks, looking at how the team plays now, What do you want to see the team get back to from your playing days or anything specifically that you would like to see them maybe make a change back to or mentality, mindset, whatever?
2: I would say just just physically dominating the game in the run game. Yep. You know, just, you know, white knuckle, you know, fire up the ball, punch him in the mouth, knock him in the dirt. You know, um, I got a 1000000 Holtisms in my brain swimming around. You know, one of my favorites from Coach Holtz was, you know, we're going to hit him in the mouth. I'm going to butt my mouth and knock them in the dirt from the time they get off the bus to the time they get back on. And that was our mentality. You know, we, we didn't need to be, you know, the most physical team in the country, but we were going to hit you if you showed up, you know, and that, and that was it. I mean, our cadence was ready hit. Like th- that was our mindset, you know? Um, I I think sometimes we, and, and I'm guilty of this uh, as a coordinator, you know, we getting, we kind of fall in love with the sexy and the, you know the RPOs and you know pulling the ball and I I honestly think there comes a point where you got to put your put your hand in the dirt, fire off the ball and control the line of scrimmage. I'd like to see more of that. Um, Twenty five is a difference maker, man. Um, you know maybe some old school counter.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, um, you know, Mayor's a, a pretty decent blocker on the run. You know, maybe a wing counter with him. You know, in that Gator position coming across. I think we run split zone out of that. We run some action off of that, but I don't know, just, just more hat on a hat physical. I'm, I'm better than you, you
5: know, Um, I'd like to see some more of that.
3: Ryan, isn't it incredible when you look at the points per game average? From those teams, they were still high thirties, mid thirties. Like yeah, you know football, all, all over the field, yeah. still 35, 70, eight, right?
1: and they're and nah. they're running the option and grinding it out, right? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have like, I didn't know anything about football like on the level that I know now as a fifty-year-old. Right? You know, as a seventeen-year-old kid. You know, I wasn't aware that we were running eye back and split back veer, right? I, I had mm-hmm. no idea, you know. I'm looking at it now. I'm like, golly, we're, we're over 500 yards of offense. We're one of the top three offenses in the country. And we threw the ball maybe six or seven times a game when we had to. When we <laughs> had to. You know, otherwise, you know, have, have, here, have Jerome Bettis for six. Have Reggie Brooks for six. Have Rodney Culver for seven or eight. You know, have Tony Brooks. Have some Ricky Water sprinkled in there. Oh, here's Lee Beckson, Lee Beckton Becht- with the lazy leg. That's <laughs> some Randy Kinder on a toss. Like good luck, you know. Like we're gonna run the ball. You know what we're gonna do. Stop it. Yeah. And you know now it's it's uh, we're gonna outscheme you. I'm gonna show you how smart I am.
5: Right. Mm, sometimes well, I, less I-
2: is more. Sometimes less uh, is more, fellas.
1: <laughs> uh, it's so true, man. And, I mean, because Brian talks about it all the time when, you know, when Rocket was on the team, right? Like they would just put Rocket in the backfield, just like, uh, you know, played I just didn't on a
2: dive. He played everywhere, yeah. you know, slot, outside, tailback. And he wasn't just running toss. He was running power, you know, yes. like he was running counter, you know, like you put the ball in the hands of your dis- difference makers and, and let them do what they do. Um, but I, I I think you know having the offensive of line coach that we have, who's who's one of the best in the business, um, perennially putting out linemen who are playing on the next level. You gotta let the big dogs eat, man. Yeah, you gotta let them eat. You know, no disrespect to the passing game, but like, yeah, I, I feel like the the old oh, it's not old, but this new thought of. Throwing the ball to set up the run, it's kind of like a football bat. It doesn't really exist, you know? Run the ball. You have whatever you want. I like to see us be more physical.
1: Well I mean because i I, pl- I played linebacker in college you know and it was like when a team could run the ball on you you felt helpless man it was like demoralizing <laughs> you know you feel the, it's demoralizing like I can't it's stop awesome. the power right now like you just yeah. uh, there was this one school that we used to play in high school was the best team in South Jersey here at, on the level that I played at and it was just like, in the first half, they would try to do all their spread stuff, right, Oscar? And you would shut them down. In The second half, they would just be like, all right, we're done. Pa- double tight power eye. And then we're <laughs> going to run right down your throat. Like, okay, can't do anything with this, man. I can't do it. You know, it's just. <laughs> it's
2: know, it's a mind- I think it's a mindset thing, though. Like, yeah. you know, if you think about what, you know, one of the, the quotes that Coach Moore said, "There's there's nothing like moving a man from point A to point B against his will. You know what I mean? And we thrived on that. We thrived. I mean, I, I remember being in the huddle with Aaron Taylor and he's like, Ooh, wait, do y'all see this one on film fellows. Like, like we were, we were relishing in, you know, what we did to them in the huddle waiting for the next play. We, we weren't hand signaling. We weren't looking to the sideline. You know, we're in the huddle laughing and talking to the demons. Hold on. I'm getting, I'll be right back. And we get the, hold on. I'll get the play. I'll be right back. You know, like, it was a whole, it was a different thing. And, you know, I feel like we, we lost some of that with, you know, you know, even my own team, you know, we're spread up tempo. you know, we'll call freeze. Everybody's looking to the sideline, you know, it's like, dude, it's, it's third and one get under center, reverse out and let's run power. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just put our hands in the dirt and play football, man. You know?
3: Um, that's great and, and Notre Dame fans those are the biggest moments right yeah and, and your era like you got Florida State you punch them in the mouth yeah like yeah. we're not about to run around with you we're about to line up and punch you in the mouth Florida in the sugar bowl we're about to line up and punch you in the mouth uh-huh like, we're yep. not playing same, with,
2: same with USC right USC yeah Yep. we we were, let me say this we had great athletes but we we played against some guys man like that Florida State team, that 93 Florida State team was stacked with athletes, guys who played for years in the league. You know, you look at USC perennially, you know, they had guys who were just incredible players. You know, Michigan, you know, Michigan State was always one of the most physical games of the year. Penn State, you know, and it didn't change. You know, we're going to run 14G, 15G, 18, 19G, 58, 59 wall, you know, 44, you know a 46 counter, we we're, we're gonna run that stuff. And like it it didn't matter what they were in. It it did not matter what they were in. It didn't matter what they showed, you know, plays called, we're gonna run it. That's kind of how it worked.
3: Yeah, I talked to a couple of your teammates before and they said, Yeah, that Michigan game hit different though from a physicality standpoint.
2: <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. And say so yes, everybody sir. else. Michigan physical with but we felt that Michigan game after. Yes, sir. Michigan you felt for me it was Penn State. Penn State was man, their linebackers were always really physical and well coached. Um and in Michigan State, you know, Michigan State was always physical too. Now, those Michigan boys always put it they put it down. Um but you just you just don't like Michigan. Like, you know, you got Michigan on you know, in the Midwest and you got S C on the west coast. You just just don't like them, you know
1: Oscar, I always have to keep it professional on this channel, but I almost I almost every podcast have an expletive in front of the word Michigan so we'll just leave it at that. yeah it's not yeah that's it. Yeah we, ha- we have a question for you. I know you were talking about the physical game that you grew uh-huh. up with that Notre Dame uh-huh. wasn't still in, but Rob Titoff asked Oscar, would you have loved to play in the past happy offenses that now present in the both college and the NFL with being a tight end with how they're utilized now?
2: You know, it would have been fun. I, I probably wouldn't have been as as um as productive. I mean, I wasn't a you know four six guy, four seven guy. I I would have liked to have seen Irv Smith in that type of offense. You know, Irv was Irv was a four five guy. Um, you know, everything I learned from running routes, I learned from him and Skip. Um, it, it would have been great to see that, but I think you know I would have probably been a great eleven personnel. You know, um. You know, complete tight end. I'm I'm not gonna beat you on a lot of the posts and corners unless there's action. Um, but you know, I'm gonna set the edge. I'm gonna be able to run the football. Um, and and when I get a chance, I'm gonna catch it. So, um, pass happy. Not so much because that means I'm running a bunch of wind sprints for nothing. You know, if if, if I'm Michael Mayer. And I know that the offense is running through me and I'm the first read with everything. That's a little bit different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we only have a couple more for you, Oscar. Again, we really appreciate the time. Wanted to get these last couple because they were nice enough to throw a super chat in here. Thank you so much to wicked Bronco production who said, Oscar, what would you say is the issue with the Notre Dame offense right now? I have never understood why Notre Dame has never been able to really have a high octane offense, teams who have less talent than us such as a TCU for instance
2: Wow um, well wicked Bronco productions I appreciate your perspective I wouldn't say first of all I wouldn't say the TCU has less talent I, I wouldn't say that especially with the parody brought on by the transfer portal um I, I what here's what I would say is it, it starts with your quarterback you know, um, if you're running a high-octane offense, the guy who touches the ball every single play has to be an imminent threat. And when I say imminent, that means he can go the distance or he can throw one on every single play. I don't know that we've had that since Malik Zaire. I mean, I could be wrong, but from in my opinion, you know, he was a legit dual threat uh, quarterback. You know, you had to watch out for him in the run took shots. It was unfortunate he got injured. Um, I just, I don't know. It it just, it starts with a quarterback, you know, and, and we just haven't had that guy who who's a threat. I mean, no disrespect to Drew Pine, but nobody's worried about him around the football, you know, they're they're really not. And, and to a point, they're not really worried about him throwing the football because, You know, we're running everything through our tight end, which as good as he is, still takes a little bit longer to develop. Right. Versus a guy who's trying to take the top off the defense and a quarterback who's going to be able to hit him when he's when he's doing so. Um, I don't know. I I don't really have an answer for that. All I can say is, you know, you have to have dynamic players um, to put together a dynamic offense. And I think we've got some guys. Um, we just gotta we gotta put it together. We gotta we gotta gel.
3: Mm-hmm. It seemed like there was a shift away from. They had a run from Everett to Malik to
5: yep. Deshaun, Deshaun. They, they yep. were
3: and, and then on the Brandon where you felt like okay they were going after those dual threat guys. Yep. I think Ian might have been on the back end of that, but mm-hmm. then it seemed like they kind of shifted. I guess Brendan Clark was kind of that way from from VA. He got injured. Right. But you had Phil. It just seemed like they went away from those type of guys the more you got deeper into the previous mm-hmm. regime and the end of mm-hmm. their uh time here in Notre Dame. But yeah, I agree with you, Oscar.
2: I d I don't know. I I I feel like you know, we still have these these um these stereotypes you know, of, of of black quarterbacks versus, you know, white quarterbacks. It's like, okay, just because he's a black quarterback doesn't mean he just runs. You know? And just because he's a white quarterback, that doesn't mean he just throws. You know? Um, if a guy's a dual threat, he's a dual threat. Yeah. I mean, and that that's why it's called a threat, you know? Um, and I just I just feel like, you know, there's so many guys out there. I, I mean, I don't know, but I guess maybe the question is for coach Reese, you know, what are you looking for, dude? You know, what, what do you want? You know, and, and I guess to, to wicked Broncos Productions, like the answer to that question. rests with coach Reese. Like he knows what he needs for his offense. Um, you have unlimited resources and availability at the university of Notre Dame. Go get what you need. Yep. You know,
1: and that that could be a whole podcast, and we'll probably make it a whole podcast. <laughs> last question,
3: <laughs> you like that? Last, you like oh, that?
1: I, I, we, Oscar, we've been talking about it for the last few weeks. <laughs> We're on honest yeah. Last
3: question
1: <laughs> again for Wicked Bronco Production. We threw in another super chat. Wicked, appreciate you. Also, Oscar, what would you say if your quarterback? If you were Michael Mayer and you have realized that teams are double-teaming you and taking you away, but your quarterback refuses to look at other guys, Pine forces it to Mayer too much. So a little shabby throwing to Drew Pine, but I have to reach it, read it because it's a super chat. So there it is. You know,
2: I we we already discussed it. I mean, there's there's got to be other guys open. Um, I don't know the reads. I don't I don't know what he's supposed to look at. You know, I don't know what Coach Reese is telling him. Um, but, I mean, if I'm a defensive coordinator for any other team, I'm not going to have 87 be one-on-one. I mean, that, that's basic football, right? Like, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm taking away your, your top weapon, and our top weapon offensively is 87. So if 87 is not available, although he's extremely reliable, you know, he's going to be there. He's going to make every effort to make the play at some point you got to come off <laughs> and, and, and to find somebody else, you know, look, look, look elsewhere to put the football. Um, and I, I really believe that running the football takes some of the, some of the pressure off of Drew. Um, like I said, 25 is explosive, man. I like get, you know, every 25 that's worn that number, every, every guy's worn 25, you know, going back to rocket, you know, Randy Kinder, you know, like these guys can go. So, like, I don't know. Get him some touches, man. You know, just, you know, keep it simple. I feel like if, if, if you're able to establish the run game, you know, it kind of forces those guys who would be doubling, you know, Michael Mayer to fit in the run game. And then you've got action off of that. Then you get a chance for some one on one matchups with him, which is a cheat code from my perspective. The kids' dynamic. Um, yeah. But no shade on Drew, man. He's he's doing what he's being taught. He's doing what his coach is asking him to do or at least trying to. So, I don't know. Again, that's a, that's another question for Coach Reese, man. I'm just an innocent bystander.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Oscar, we really appreciate you, man. This is a fantastic interview. We have so many people that want you to be uh, have the open analyst position at Notre Dame. So, they're going to hire you on <laughs> the staff. <and> <laughs> we I, had you know several I, of these, I too. I
2: wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind as long as I get to leave after the season before it gets too cold. All right. Hey, well, well, Well. someone
1: needs to make a call to Notre Dame then. Someone in the chat that has that type of power, call up the
2: staff and let's get it
3: rolling. Hey, Again, Ryan, joined Ryan, by Ryan. Oscar McBride, former state. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Go, ahead, Go ahead. If you were facing a team that plays a three, three, five, uh uh-huh. what were you in the offensive lineman thinking that week? Three,
2: three, five, three, like three down guys. You already know why are you why are you kind of set me up. <laughs> you, you uh, know. I'm, just, I'm
3: bro, just asking. Like, what bro, you we're run, we're, running, we're
2: look. We're running power. We're running counter. You know, even if we're in, even if we're in shotgun, you know, if we're in trade person, we're in Trey, you know, with tight end, two receivers, we're gonna read that backside in. Maybe RPO. You know, that the the solo side slant. We're gonna run the ball, man. Six man box. We should win.
3: That's perfect.
2: Five man box should be a no brainer. That's perfect. But six man box, with Notre Dame's offensive line coach and their offensive line, yeah, come on. We we RPO the backside if we have to, but we're going to run the rock. There's no doubt about it.
1: And I know Sean asked that because uh, Notre Dame will be seeing a three three five against Syracuse this week. So lo- love let, the let throw tell tell you, the question. Not,
2: there. You know what? It, it, it it's never as basic as it seems. It just looks like you know there's six guys. You know stacked on top of each other, on the snap of the ball, man, they move, and they go, yeah. and they all have different fits. My thing is, if I'm pinning and pulling, it doesn't matter where you go, because mm. you're going to run into me, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I'm blocking down, and I'm pulling the other way, so I I don't know. Hey, Like I said, I'll be watching just like everybody else. I'm a fan, so uh, I'm hoping that we'll have success. It doesn't help that Coach Babers is known as a giant killer, um, and we're playing them. Uh, we're playing them at Syracuse. That doesn't help, um, but I have faith in my my little brothers, man. We're gonna get it done. For sure. Yeah,
1: well, I'll I'll be up in Syracuse to watch the games. So hopefully, I'm the good luck charm, I guess. But again, Oscar McBride, appreciate you for taking the time, man. This was fantastic. Course, I was only keeping for like thirty minutes, and then conversation just got so good. I had to keep you for a little
2: bit longer. It's all so. good, Thank man. You so it's much. all good. anytime. I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely.
1: Thank you.